Welcome to Prima's 2021 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Seymour Everett will discuss the impact of COVID-19 on litigation and risk management. Seymour is a managing partner at Everett Dory LLP. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Sai. Thanks for having me. It's a real privilege to participate in today's podcast. I appreciate the opportunity. You're very welcome. So to start, what has been the single biggest challenge to litigators and risk managers caused by COVID-19? That's a great question. I think we're all having to adapt to communicating differently. And the impact that it's had on risk managers and litigators has really been thinking differently. From a risk management perspective, if your job is to manage risk, protect property, and and or defend litigation, you've had to adapt quickly. We're not meeting in person to formulate strategies or implement risk management techniques and policies. We're doing it remotely. And that adaptation has been really the the biggest game changer, you know, changing from in-person meetings to, to remote communications, whether it's using Zoom or Microsoft Teams, has forced people to really adapt. And it's been amazing how people have done that. You know, the challenge of meeting, you know, via Zoom as opposed to in person, something that people would not have expected to be the norm as little as eight months ago. And it's become the norm. And I think that challenge of communicating effectively but remotely has been the single most important challenge or significant challenge that that people have really risen to the occasion. And they've done it in numerous ways. I've mentioned Microsoft Teams and and Zoom, which which is becoming more and more prevalent, but also through the use of surveillance. You know, imagine risk managers who are prohibited from, you know, inspecting their sites that are open to the public, whether it's a public park or, or maybe a school that's not in session. They've had to be creative. And some people... Some risk managers have implemented the use of surveillance cameras, which has been real creative, and then still collaborating with each other via Zoom to find out ways to implement various risk management policies and procedures. So it's been a challenge, especially at the onset of the pandemic, but I think remote communication has been the the biggest challenge, which people have really come together, risen to the occasion, and uh, been able to, to adapt. How does a remote mediation differ from an in-person mediation, and are they here to stay? Now, traditionally, mediation has been most effective by having a mediator meet with people face-to-face and bridge that gap when it comes to the differences between the two parties. What has been key in, in terms of resolution has been someone being able to sit down with the litigants and look them in the eyes and convince them that a compromise is in in the best interest of both parties. Now, remote mediations have become the norm. And you don't have that face-to-face interaction, which has diminished the effectiveness of mediations, in my opinion. We've been able to to adapt, kind of as I've talked before, as to the, the prior question that you asked in terms of collaborating and remotely via Zoom or or other software platforms. But mediations, it's different because you're meeting people for the very first time. Sometimes it's someone who has never participated in a mediation and they're meeting a mediator for the first time. 
It's overwhelming to understand the concept and the benefits of mediation. So from our perspective and experience, and we've participated in numerous mediations throughout the pandemic remotely, and it's been challenging for clients. So I think that's still evolving, the effectiveness of mediating remotely via Zoom. I think that you know, once we get back to in-person meetings, that mediations will eventually resume in person. For now, it's, I think it's one of the casualties in terms of the pandemic and meeting remotely because it's, you just don't have the same effectiveness of meeting in person, especially when it's for the first time. So I think that's one of the changes that you know we're going to continue to see challenges in, and um, it's here to stay because it's the safest and most healthiest way to, to mediate and solve differences. But I think eventually we're going to find a way to get back to in-person and do it in a safe and effective manner. What have jury trials looked like during COVID-19? What would they look like in the future? A jury trial is such a fundamental right in the civil litigation process, and it holds everyone accountable, whether you're a personal injury attorney or a defense attorney. You are relying upon a jury trial to deliver justice in your case, no different than a criminal case, just the Stakes are a little different. Courts have done a tremendous job in adapting, especially the bench that we have here in, in Southern California, including Los Angeles County, is made up of great judges. And they've done their very best to adapt and, and, and make the courts available for trials under circumstances that are safe and necessary. And they've ranged from doing jury trials remotely via Zoom, where the jurors are at home logging into their computers. We had one of those cases up in, or a couple of Zoom trials up in Northern California, to having in-person juries, which in cases that had been suspended before the pandemic and reconvened after the pandemic. With respect to the in-person jury trials, what the courts have done is identified larger courtrooms, spread out the jurors to accommodate distance between six feet. All jurors have, they wear face masks, and they have strict requirements with respect to washing hands, maintaining that social distance while in the courtroom and outside the courtroom. And the lawyers also have masks as well as the judge. The witnesses that we've had participate in jury trials, they've used the face shield. They've been allowed to take off their mask because credibility is such an important part of a jury trial and the ability to assess the credibility of a witness really includes the ability to look at those facial responses and what the courts have determined that the witnesses can use a face shield as opposed to a mask when providing testimony. So they've been creative and it's been successful where we've had jury trials resume and been able to finish those cases with by implementing these safety precautions that are accepted by the medical community, and it's been effective. In terms of remote jury trials, as I mentioned, in, in Northern California, we've had a couple of remote jury trials via Zoom, and from my perspective and in my analysis, those have been a bit more challenging. It's so important to hold jurors accountable. The admonition that nearly every attorney gives 
during voir dire when you're picking a jury is the question as to whether a juror can be impartial and provide their undivided attention to the evidence that's being presented at the trial. And that's difficult when you're at home via Zoom watching a trial. Imagine that you know, when you're asked to put aside your entire day and you've got either a family or other commitments at home and you're a juror, it's difficult to provide that undivided attention and not be influenced by your surroundings. There's a reason why you know, we put 12 jurors in a box if you're in state court here in California because we want them to be focused on the evidence that's being presented. And if they're at home and watching this trial via Zoom, we've heard stories and, and there's been arguments that the jury's been unfairly influenced because they're distracted, uh, either you know, stories of people working out while on Zoom during trial on an elliptical or a treadmill. There's been stories of jurors occupied playing video games on another monitor in their, on their computer. There's been a whole another set of circumstances or distractions that have come into play when you have a Zoom jury that is really difficult to hold those jurors accountable. So I think we're trying to, you know, adapt and put jurors in a better position where they can focus on the trials, but it's difficult. I don't know that that's going to be here to stay. I think best case scenario, you want jurors in person. But depending on which direction this pandemic turns, if in the event that we can't get the numbers down, then we're going to be forced to do remote jury trials, and, and we'll do it, and we'll do it fine. We'll find a way to, to adapt as we've done in other areas of the law over the course of history. Jury trials are so important and so critical to the administration of justice that they must go forward, and we'll do our best way to do that. What, if any, are the positive developments on risk management and litigation as a result of COVID-19? Another great question. That's something that I've thought a lot about. You know, throughout this pandemic, as a society, we want to stay positive and we want to stay optimistic. And as Americans, we've triumphed over adversity throughout the course of our nation's history. And this is just another example where we're going to find some positive developments. And it's not unique to risk management and litigation as to how we've been creative and, and find solutions to these problems. What strikes me as one of the most positive developments of COVID-19 is access. You know, people working remotely has really opened some doors for people. Employees who typically would have been you know, possibly discriminated against or not given particular opportunities because they worked from home or remotely are now on an equal level playing field with their colleagues where everybody's had to work from home and they've done it effectively. You know, a, a great example that, that came to mind is, you know, let's give an example of a, of a mom who's got some childcare issues or a dad who's got child care issues, and that parent has traditionally had struggles with respect to finding child care, and they've been prevented from you know, competing with their colleagues who are in the office you know, five days a week. And, and in this you know, example, in this hypothetical, which, ha which happens throughout our country, that person hasn't been given the same opportunities. Now that person who is working remotely and demonstrated 
that they can do their job as good or if not better than their colleague, then they've been put in a position to succeed. Where in the past there's been this stigma associated with working remotely that has prevented people from, you know, really in some cases succeeding just because of a stigma that may not have real impact on work production. So I think access, access to the workplace is something that is a real positive that we've demonstrated that we can do this in terms of working remotely. If we've got other challenges in our life that would prevent us from you know, working in person, that we can accomplish the same goals as our colleagues who are in person. And as a result, I think businesses and, and, and cities and other public entities may benefit from this because the amount of overhead associated with housing someone in a workplace is going to diminish and it's going to be less. It's going to be easier to hire people who can work remotely and do it efficiently and competently. So I think access is a, is a real positive development as a result of us learning to work remotely. And I think on a larger scale, you'll see it in other areas of our society. You know, think of people that have had some real challenges in terms of barriers to entry to either education or the workforce. You know, think of the first generation immigrant who comes to this country and their parents you know, have challenges with the language, they have financial challenges, and that person may be prohibited because of their geographic location from really benefiting from the education system. And, you know, he or she as a student is applying to colleges and doesn't have the financial backing to, let's say, apply to a Harvard, one of the elite Ivy League schools, just because of their financial position in life and, and the challenges that, that they face geographically. They can't afford to travel across country, visit colleges, participate in, in class. They now are on an equal playing field with their other students because all you need is a computer. You know, and it's hard to, to say how this is going to play out, but I think there's the potential for a real benefit that as we enter into a better position in terms of, you know, working remotely and everyone doing it from the same, pers- same vantage point, then you're going to see a more, more level playing field. Of course, the goal is to get back in person, but I think this can really complement you know, society as a whole uh, by lessening these barriers to, to entry into education or the, the workforce. There's just some, some real advantages that we're going to see over time, and it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, prior to this pandemic and even during this pandemic to a much lesser extent, it seemed like the big buzzword around, whether it was the public or private sector, was the emphasis on millennials and their, you know, alleged stereotypical inability to to focus and stay at one particular job because there were so many distractions in society or, or this, this, you know, perception that was placed on, on you know, quote-unquote millennials. You know, I've seen, I don't like to use blanket terms, but I've seen a lot of, a lot of quote-unquote millennials really advance and do great things during this, you know, pandemic where they've had the skill set to adapt much more easily than people uh, from our, our, our older generations. 
So it's been it's been neat uh, to see you know this segment of our population really you know soar in some respects and lead the pack in terms of adapting and showing others how to do it in the same the same way. So there's been, in my opinion, a lot of positive developments that's impacted the public sector and private sectors. I think we'll see you know lasting a lasting impact as a result of this. You know, my hope, and I think all of our hope, is we're going to get back in person eventually, hopefully much sooner than later. We're at this point in time where we need to to follow these rules, work together to get through this pandemic. And we're going to take all of the lessons that we've learned, especially the technological lessons that we've learned in terms of utilizing our technology, working remotely, working more efficiently, doing more with less, and that's going to complement our workforce when we get back to -to face-to-face meetings. So there's a lot of positives. The pandemic has been horrendous in so many ways, and it's been so horrible and and sad to see its impact on on a lot of people. But if we're going to focus on some of the positive things that come out of this, I think one of them is our ability to work together and overcome I think that's a real positive. That's a that's a testament to uh, to our ability as a uh, our, our ability to persevere as a country. So, uh, hopefully, we'll focus on those positive developments as as we get through this. So, what will be the lasting impact on public entities as a result of COVID nineteen? I hope it will be capitalizing on the technological advances that we've implemented to work together collaboratively. I've talked about, you know, focusing on adapting to the challenges that we've adapting and overcoming the challenges that we've had to as when we've been first to work in remotely, and there's been some real positives. And I think those technological advances combined with the perseverance that we've demonstrated as a society, our ability to, to work together, especially you know, in the public sector where people have been forced to, to come together and, and find solutions. So I think during, you know, any, during a really dramatic and difficult time that's impacted every aspect of society, it's forced us to come together. And, you know, it, it seems it was somewhat of a disingenuous comment to say that we've come together when you've seen this civil unrest throughout our country but those are all challenges that in many ways bring us together. You know, that, that confrontation, that civil unrest has brought to light many of the injustices that we've seen throughout the country. And those hardships have brought us together in many ways. Dealing on top of that, this, the, the pandemic and, and the health impact that it's had is a tragedy that has brought us together. And when you focus just on the workplace, I do think that we're working differently, but we're working efficiently. We're increasing productivity with less because we've been forced to do it. You're never going to replace the human interaction, and and that should never be our goal as a society, right? We should always emphasize that ability to get together, to work together in a collaborative manner. We're not going to replace that. We're going to complement it with the lessons that we've learned, whether it's technological or whether it's workflow issues that we've had to adapt because we're working remotely, I think the impact on public entities is going to be real positive. It's going to be tougher before it gets better for sure. We're at this stage where we're going to have to get through the 
the, the winner that's coming up here, and we'll find a way to do it. But the lasting impact is going to be that we've learned some great lessons, and we've also benefited from a technological perspective because we've been able to work collaboratively despite working remotely. We've been able to, again, develop new strategies and implement new programs from a risk management perspective. Public entities have have really risen to the occasion. So the lasting effect is we've got a lot of lessons that we've learned. We're going to take those lessons to heart. We're going to apply them to the future, and we'll be better for it. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.